We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. And welcome to Overnight America. How about that? Kevin Wheeler unplugged tonight. Man, he is not uh, giving up on those text messages. I'll tell you, that was fun to listen to. So how about this? If you want to reach in the show, we got a, a, I mean, a star-studded show for you. When I think of stars, I think of uh, interesting people. So in this hour, actually at about uh, 8.30 or so, right after the weather there, we're going to talk to a brain researcher, Dr. Leibowitz, some early warning signs of Parkinson's. Kind of interesting to see some of the different signs that he points out. Not a bad idea to keep yourself informed in that sense. Uh, Michael Bryant is an executive producer for an A&E series called I Survived a Crime. Tells the stories of survivors. Wow, what a uh, interesting thing. So he's going to join us next hour. We're also going to talk to someone about mental health and erasing the stigma. We're going to talk to someone about what's going on with young men and the problem with gun violence. Then why? Why are so many young men picking up guns and committing serious crimes? So he's got a book called The Primal Method. We'll talk about that too, but so much to get to in the show tonight. I just wanted to give a huge shout out to Kevin Wheeler, listening to him read those text messages. I loved it so much. <laughs> and I'm looking through, man, he, he was just on fire tonight. All these different people messaging him. So I wanted to first start the hour and go through a couple of different things, an update in Minneapolis and then an update in Columbus, two of the big stories that are going on, none of which I really cared about what LeBron James thinks about it. But in the Columbus instance, man, why is he trying to rile up a mob? Why is he doing that? Let's uh, start with the the, uh, Department of Justice will be investigating the Minneapolis Police Department. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Um, I I feel like it won't be necessarily a bad thing. I think that what they'll find, and it depends on if they're purposely looking for something bad or if they're, well, if they're just looking to look and see what is out there. But I think if you look at all of the different things that have happened over the past year, maybe the Department of Justice should be looking into some of these large cities in the way that they've handled policing and the way that they've defunded policing and the way they've discouraged policing. Or how about they look at how the, Uh, different circuit attorneys or the prosecutors, whatever they call them in their individual cities, may have be dropping the ball on cases and contributing to more violent crimes. How about we look at why so many of these cities are surging 
when it comes to homicides. I think these are the things that we should be looking into. So the Department of Justice, if you're going to look at the police, okay, how about you look into the practices of some of these prosecutors that are contributing tenfold, twentyfold, hundredfold. I don't know. We can find a statistic of how much uh, is actually contributing to crime in the cities. And I'm going to guess that the lack of prosecution, lack of guilty pleas, lack of uh, getting to a, a guilty verdict, any of those things are contributing a lot more than the impression that people have, which is police are terrible all the time, nonstop, hit you over the head. Police are terrible over and over and over again. Merrick Garland, who will be looking into this. Uh, let's see what they will investigate. The investigation I am announcing today will assess whether the Minneapolis Police Department engages in a pattern or practice of using excessive force, including during protests. The investigation will also assess whether the MPD engages in discriminatory conduct and whether its treatment of those with behavioral health disabilities is unlawful. It will include a comprehensive review of the Minneapolis Police Department's policies, training, supervision, and use of force investigations. It will assess the effectiveness of the MPD's current systems of accountability and whether other mechanisms are needed to ensure constitutional and lawful policing. Let's remember what happened when the Department of Justice came into Ferguson and they looked at the case when it came to Michael Brown and they looked at all the evidence. They looked at everything they possibly could. I mean, they they looked at every single angle and I believe they came in not with an open mind, but they came in with we're going to we're going to nail Ferguson. And what ended up happening with that report, they ended up agreeing with um, not all the practices that happen within the police department in Ferguson, but they ended up agreeing when it came to um, the conclusion, which is not guilty. So that's part of where we sit now, just some, what, 10 some years after now we're looking at Minneapolis. I don't think they're going to look at it the same way. I don't think what they're going to come to in a conclusion, maybe they'll say, okay, here's some suggestions for practices. Here's how you can help it. I mean, there's a big difference between Ferguson's police department in size, scope, and budget versus a Minneapolis per se, but we really got to start looking deeper. We got to look deeper into some of the different um, discriminatory, uh, discriminatory practices that these governing bodies have been enacting onto the police departments. And we also have to look at how the prosecution and prosecutors in some of these places are looking at themselves as public defenders and not prosecutors. We have to look into that and see how that contributes to crime. I, th I think that's all probably more important to look into right now, considering the statistically speaking, low amount of instances we have with police interactions that are resulting in like what we saw in Minneapolis with uh, George Floyd. It's, a, it's a, such a small number. But when you turn around and you see increases of 100 extra homicides in the city of St. Louis or whatever, and we're tracking even higher, I mean, what if we hit 300 homicides in St. Louis this year? What's the answer to that? I would love the Department of Justice to come in and say, well, maybe it's because we have a circuit attorney that doesn't show up or can't get a guilty verdict or they have a staff that doesn't want to work with her, or maybe they just decide that it's not worth their time, or maybe they are more politically motivated going after certain targets because it, it, it I don't know, helps with their fundraising. Maybe some of these conclusions from the Department of Justice in these large cities would do these large cities a lot better than going in and saying, uh, you know, let's tear apart the police department that you're already cutting the funding of. 
maybe if we looked at what's the best bang for your buck or what actually is going to get violent criminals off the street, that's where we should be starting in a time like this when things are really bad. Uh, how about this? After the break, I want to talk a little bit about the Columbus incident and just what a terrible knee-jerk reaction and just a terrible reaction in general that some of these commentaries and, I mean, these hot takes and even LeBron James felt like it was necessary for him to get in and rile up a mob against a police officer who now we see is vindicated in his actions, at least by the evidence that's been released so far. So we'll look at that coming up after the break, too. It's Overnight America KMOX. Dependable. Traffic and weather together on the 10s. Weekday mornings on The Voice of St. Louis. KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. And I wanted to uh, go to a couple of things before we get to our first guest of this hour, which will come in about, uh, you know, 15 minutes-ish or so in there. And we're going to talk about early warning signs for Parkinson's. I'm always interested in things like this, things to keep an eye out for. But I wanted to just briefly mention some of the other things that are going on in the world and with the Minneapolis Police Department under investigation, we saw that somewhat similar to Ferguson where the Department of Justice came in, but they were looking at a, I think um, it sounds like they're looking at the department more than the case itself. In this instance, on the same day as the verdict that came out for the George Floyd case in Columbus, there was another police shooting. And this time it happened to be with a teenager, a 16 year old. And immediately people were looking at this and saying, okay, cops are terrible. Here's another example. Everyone's racist and blah, blah, blah. So the Columbus police had to release this camera footage nearly immediately. And it's something you don't see that quickly because they realized that hey, if we don't get this footage out there, we could have bad things happen to our city. It's realistic for them to realize that the clock is ticking to show their innocence and to show the circumstances that led to the shooting, because if they don't, then what could happen is burning buildings and police officers in harm's way getting shot and killed. And it's just the reality of where we are today that everyone automatically, in a lot of ways, the ones that are going to go out and commit violence or com uh, felonies or whatever in reaction to a reaction to how a police action shooting occurred, then you have to get in front of it pretty quickly mostly because you don't want this to just snowball. Case in point, what's LeBron James doing riling up a mob of people based on this case before the information is actually known? I think that's a question that needs to be asked. Why would he go out there and try to rile people up? So the body camera footage was released. And if you haven't seen it, it is out there. You can see it for yourself. It is graphic, of course. Some websites, I'm looking at the Columbus Dispatch, they decided not to show it all, but I have seen it in other places. And it's it's not easy when you realize a life was taken. In the instance here, I'll just try to give you a little bit of what I saw. There's multiple police officers there, and you have one police officer in their body cam footage. I think it's coming from the officer that shot and killed the 16-year-old girl. So you see her come out and rush someone and try to push or fight this person. And then they turn around. And this isn't like in the front yard. So it's like the police officers are either on the curb or standing between the grass and the sidewalk. And you basically, there's one person that's standing on the sidewalk. This is kind of what it looks like. Person comes out, you know, this is the 16-year-old girl. Pushes, shoves, or whatever, the one person. Then runs and turns around and then attacks another 
person that's by a car in a driveway. And that's when the police, one officer shot her in the chest. She later died. Immediately, they said another act of uh, police racism and blah, blah, blah. Uh, normally, you you lay down. You see, I don't, I don't mean to say that in a in a way that's, you know, to, to try to make light of the situation. But what I'm saying is all of the false narratives that immediately came out and the ones that were calling for violence, the ones that were calling for uh, the mob mentality of them, we have to show up at this police officer's door with pitchforks is despicable. Immediately, that's what happened. It's just a lot of noise at that point. But when you see the video, you realize that this 16-year-old girl had a knife in her hands and she was trying to stab this other person. And the police officer was witnessing this happen. This stabbing, this... If you're... Let me just put it this way. If someone with a knife was attacking you and you're unarmed and a police officer was there, would you want them to intervene you getting stabbed? Would you want the police to do something about you being assaulted with a knife? If it was a group of people and someone you knew, would you step in to stop someone who was getting attacked with a knife? If you had the ability to stop that person. We're not talking about we're randomly targeting this person because they're going around pushing or whatever it is. This person had a deadly weapon in their hand and it's shown on the video. It's shown on the video. It is horrible. It's sad. It's just part of the reality of what police officers have to face every day in these split second decisions of what they have to face. This is what some people go on. They go on and they say, did they have to uh, shoot her? Could they have just um, shot her in the leg? Or did they have, did they have to get her in the chest? Could they have just done this or that? Or can they have, can we, can we go back and realize how many uh, stabs before the police actually have to fire their firearm? And I don't know if I have to put a blanket disclosure out on the air and I I'm really not doing this in order to make light to it, but it may sound like I am. I'm really not. But what I'm saying is if I was ever being attacked, and someone was trying to stab me with a knife and the police were there, I would pray that they intervene. I would pray they would do what would take, uh, would, would be necessary, whatever it would take in order to stop that person from attacking me. I don't think the police should stand by and say, okay, uh, what we're going to do is uh, we'll just see how this plays out. No, it's because, oh, we don't want to get in trouble because the social media might get angry at us. It shouldn't be like that. And it can't be like that. It's not responsible for the police to watch someone in the act of getting stabbed do nothing. And to say, well, I guess the race of the person that's stabbing someone, we need to take that into consideration. No, it's the act that is being, con- that's the act that you need to step in on. It's just sad. I don't know what the reason for the stabbing. I don't know why she had a knife, but she certainly was out there trying to attack someone. And that could be clearly seen on video. It's, Another reminder that you can't go online instantly and try to rile up a reaction, not based on opinion, but based on you trying to um, you trying to get people to act on this wrong information. And case in point, we have to look at LeBron James immediately going to social media, showing a picture of the police officer. So trying to dox this person and saying, you're next, hashtag accountability. So before any of this information was released, and this officer, who, by the way, people are looking at this now and saying, 
Um, it is justified his actions. We understand why he was doing it. He was witnessing someone getting stabbed. And in this case, the knife being a deadly weapon. So you have LeBron James on Twitter posting a photograph of this person trying to out him in obviously putting him and his family, whoever it is, in harm's way because you know that they'll be targeted based on this as they uh, LeBron is pushing people towards that. People get kicked off of Twitter for less than that. And I don't know why Twitter won't react to what LeBron just did. It's pretty bad. And a lot of other people are starting to react to it. Um, let's see. Senator Tom Cotton in Arkansas. LeBron James is inciting violence against an Ohio police officer. This is disgraceful and dangerous. Is the NBA okay with this? Is Twitter? It's a question. You you really have to look at that. Is that okay? Why would they be okay with it? But I don't know. He's, it's, I, I think he has certain favor and he has certain celebrity around him that they'll give him a, a pass. But if anything, there needs to be some sort of a warning associated with that, that maybe it's not the best idea to try to rile up a group of people in order to, I mean, directly target one specific individual. The chief in Columbus, Michael Woods, was asked, you know, why not shoot the leg is what one of the questions. We, we don't train to shoot the leg because that's a small target. We train to shoot center mass. What is available to stop that threat? There was a threat going on, a deadly force threat that was going on. So the officer is trained to shoot center mass, the, the largest part, part of a body that is available to them. When you try to start shooting legs or arms, uh, rounds miss, and then they continue on, and there are people behind that that could be in danger that are not committing anything. Uh, so we try and minimize any danger to anyone else if we have to use our firearm. Yeah, you have to minimize danger, and that's completely reasonable. And it sounds like what was done here was by the book. Uh, this is the information that's available to us. But when you have the video evidence and you can see that they had to be quick to put this out there because they were afraid of what could happen to the life of this officer based on the retaliation of people giving these uninformed opinions. It's very sad. And doxing and, and calling out from celebrities. And I got to say, it, if anything, it shows you that people like LeBron James and celebrities of this nature really have no idea, no idea, the danger that police officers are in every single day in the United States. Every day. They have either no sympathy or no care to understand, or if they do understand, it's something more vile that they would continue to do things like this to try to purposely make sure the police become a target of a future crime based on what you're putting out on social media. It is sad. You can't do that. This would be different if it was a general opinion. If, if it was just one person going out there and saying, we have too much police violence in America. That's one thing. He specifically put the photograph of the police officer on social media and said, you're, you're, we're holding you accountable or whatever it is, whatever the threat was. That is so wrong. That's purposely done in such a dumb thing to do. So when we come back, um, enough with the police stuff. I just figured we can start at least a couple of uh, segments with that. We're going to shift over to Dr. Russell Leibowitz. He is someone that is a brain researcher. We're going to talk about Parkinson's and some of the signs that he sees are early warning signs. And I think a lot of people may have 
loved ones or people in their family that may be affected or early onset of this. And I, they're curious. They're like, okay, is this just old age or is this something more? So we'll talk to him about that coming up after the break on Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Get ready for the Cards and Cincinnati Reds Friday night. Ammon pregame show 620. First pitch 715. Here and here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. Dang MOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. Joining us now is a brain researcher talking about some of the early warning signs of Parkinson's disease. Dr. Russell Lebovitz, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thank you for having me. And I'm curious, what year or what age should you start looking for signs in an individual? Well, that's a great question. Parkinson's itself begins to appear in people in their 60s, but we now know that it has a long incubation period. So the earliest signs might appear in people in their late 30s that early and then at any point after that. So maybe you can talk about Parkinson's. What is it and how does it affect the body? Sure. Parkinson's is a disease mainly of certain regions of the brain that control movement. And so the, when people think of Parkinson's, sort of the classic signs are people who are, who were otherwise normal, who start having shaking or who find themselves that their motions become very stiff. So in the full blown form, that's sort of the classic form of Parkinson's, but Today, maybe we can talk about some of the earlier signs that would eventually give, give someone a sign that they're on that path. Yeah, and I think when people think of Parkinson's, probably they think Michael J. Fox. That's one of the most uh, right. well-known cases. Absolutely. Uh, he yeah, it, is, yeah. I know some, a colleague in radio that uh, later in life, you know, just in the last couple of years, uh, started showing symptoms and was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And, uh, you know, so one of the things I learned, because you think about Michael J. Fox and the different movements, and he was telling me that the movements are a byproduct of the medicine you take. And he was telling me that I, I, some things I never really knew about Parkinson's. And I think that when all you know is a celebrity that may have it and you kind of see the outward signs, you really don't know much else about it. All you do is see the shaking and you think, okay, that's all there is to it. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword in that you have a problem, you take a drug, the drug helps to solve that problem for a while, but it can cause other problems. So you, you start with having a problem moving, and the drug, which works very well for short periods of time to help that, over time starts to cause unwanted movements, and that's what your friend was talking about. 
So when we start talking about this, do we really know why someone would start showing signs? Is there anything that triggers it or is it just something that happens and we have no idea why? No, I'd say that now we have a pretty good idea of what happens. And what we've learned is that Parkinson's, all patients with Parkinson's end up with a protein, a normal protein in their brain called alpha-synuclein for a variety of reasons, undergoes a conversion where a small amount of that normal protein misfolds. It converts into a misfolded form, and that misfolded form takes on two new powers that are not particularly good for us. The first is a small amount of misfolded alpha-synuclein in the brain has the power to convert large amounts of normal alpha-synuclein into the misfolded form. So it sort of causes a chain reaction. And the second is, unfortunately, the misfolded form of alpha-synuclein is bad for brain cells. Over time, it damages and kills them. And it turns out that the misfolded alpha-synuclein is particularly problematic for cells in the brain that control movement. Hmm. So is there a test for it early on where you could tell if that process is going on in the brain? Yeah, until recently, the misfolded form of alpha-synuclein in many ways is identical to the normal form. It has the same structure, it's made by the same gene, but it just has a different shape. And the reason we're talking today is research done by my colleagues at Amprion, which is a company developing a test to measure this misfolded synuclein specifically. Uh, We now are offering a test that can detect misfolded synuclein, and the presence of misfolded synuclein really indicates that one has Parkinson's uh, uh, and other or other related diseases. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the this is like a chain reaction. So if you start to see it early on, you realize that it's just going to continue down that process. Is, is there anything detecting it early could do to help along the line or all of it? Is, is it just giving you an early sign that you're more susceptible to it and that this is what your future is? Yeah, well, what we would like to say is that in many diseases, early detection empowers, but particularly in something like Parkinson's. So the first thing is that what if you knew that in 15 years, you knew now that in 15 years, you weren't going to be able to travel anymore. You might not be able to work anymore. You might not be able to move the same way. First thing is that you might not want to put off certain things. If you're putting off travel, you might want to do it earlier. The second is that knowing now when you have very few signs by detecting it early, you have the power to make changes in lifestyle, the Hmm. ability to change diet. There's some data that diet and exercise might help. And third, and maybe most importantly, there are a number of clinical trials going on at any time. So if you have very early signs and you're still mostly intact, you have the power as a patient to say, I want to enroll in these trials. I want to not only help research, but I'd love to be part of finding a drug that actually slows or stops this. Wow. So you talk about over at uh, Amprian, and you're the co-founder, CEO, and Dr. Russell Leibovitz joining us. What's the accuracy of these tests? I mean, how well can you detect this? Oh, it's You know, with misfolded synuclein, the way our test works, it's an amplification test. So we can detect really small amounts of this. 
So if it's present in even enough at very early stages, we've certainly been able to detect it in people more than 15 years prior to having any objective sign of the disease. So, you know, it, it is very effective. It's very accurate. And we think that it can really play a role in helping people to make better decisions. And it can also help drug companies to develop better drugs now that we can measure who has the disease at all stages, particularly the early ones. Wow. Well, so I'm just curious, how does this work? Is it a saliva test, blood test? What do you have to look at? Well, in this case right now, the test that is the most accurate by far uses one drop of spinal fluid. And it's not the hardest thing to get, um, but with spinal fluid, you're really measuring what's going on in the brain. And so that's what gives us the advantage of being able to measure a decade or more before there are really clear signs of damage. Yeah, that's really interesting. So when you said in the late 30s, because that's where I'm at right now in age, where you can start to see some of these different signs. And you said that there's certain things that you see that are pretty typical of people that may show symptoms. Uh, what are some of those different signs that people should be looking for? And maybe you can give me an idea of what, what it would look like if you're 37 showing these signs versus 67 showing these signs. Well, let's talk about what the signs are, because the early signs, one of the problems with Parkinson's is that certainly at early stages, the, the signs you have overlap with normal aging. They overlap with things that, you know, side effects of other drugs. So none of the early signs is necessarily proves that you have this. So you'll listen to this list and you'll say, oh, you know, I could have these. That just because you have these signs doesn't mean that you have Parkinson's, but these are signs that appear more frequently in people with Parkinson's. So the first is sleep disorders, but the sleep disorders associated with Parkinson's are really uh, specific. And they really, it's not so much that you can't sleep, is that when you're sleeping at certain stages of sleep, the, you start moving wildly. So people notice that they're thrashing around and hitting their partner. Some people have get up and sleepwalk, but you're moving around and what you're dreaming seems to not, it leads to motion. And so that's the first is this what we call a rapid eye movement uh, behavioral disorder. When you're sleeping, you move around. Second is just suddenly having trouble moving. You might f feel stiffness. Now, of course, lots of people are stiff for a variety of reasons, but Parkinson's type stiffness, this is, it will progress over time. So stiffness and tremors, shaking. Third are voice changes. So people's voice, just it's just not as strong. You, you know, it sounds like your voice just is wavering. It's not as strong, partly because the motor control of your throat and your vocal cords may be impacted early on. Posture changes, people may find that suddenly they're leaning to one side and it's very hard to straighten up. Uh, the last two are really... Uh, well, the last three I'll go through. One is the loss of, of the sense of smell and taste. That used to be something that we didn't talk about all the time. But unfortunately, over the last year and a half, that's now a fairly common sign also for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. But before COVID-19, it was rare that someone would suddenly lose their sense of smell. And that's associated with Parkinson's. Uh, some people 
find that they're dizzy or they faint when they stand up quickly. Again, that could be due to medications, but it's also a sign, an early sign of Parkinson's. And last, actually the most common sign of Parkinson's for people who eventually end up with full-blown disease is years before, for no good reason, they have an onset of constipation that just starts and doesn't end, and there's no good reason for it. So Hmm. what I want to point out is all of these early signs, none of them are absolutely diagnostic. And so with that alone, you might be concerned, and if you had two or three of them, you might start to have a a concern and see a doctor. So, yeah, you you said two or three of them. And you said that it starts in the late 30s is when you could start seeing some of these where it becomes a concern. Right. And why I said two or three is all of these are somewhat nonspecific. But over time, you start to see that there's a pattern here. So clearly, if you had more than one of these, you might at least begin to ask, is there something going on? Mm -hmm. Dr. Russell Leibovitz joining us here on Overnight America. And if people wanted to learn more about this, do you have a website or some place that people could uh, go? Absolutely. And thanks for asking. Uh, We have a website that provides a lot of information on our test, on the science behind it, uh, and on uh, just everything one might want to know about these diseases. And the site is www.amprionme.com. Okay. And one of the things you mentioned about finding out early and know that it will give you a little bit of an idea of some of the lifestyle changes or things that gives you um, the ability to make better decisions as you age. One of the things I was curious about, when we go back to the Trump administration, he did something that I thought was wonderful, which was the right to try. So if you find yourself in a situation where the medical diagnosis is not so good, before, you really didn't have a lot of options in some cases, but when you open up the idea that you can try more experimental or you can try some things that normally would have been turned off to you, it it led to a possibility of at least giving you some hope. So when you talk about clinical trials coupled with the right to try, does that really open up a lot more possibilities for people now that we know more about Parkinson's than we did, let's say the possibilities 10 years ago? Oh, absolutely. So enrolling in a clinical trial is something, especially for a disease where there are no known cures, is something that can help the individual, it can help all of us. And so whether it's through right to try or because one has a diagnosis through someone like Amprion that says, look, I know I have this disease, that might even help qualify for the clinical trial even outside of right to try. But one way or another, the way we make advances in diseases like Parkinson's is through clinical trials. So any way that we can enhance those is good for all of us. You mentioned we don't have a cure yet. Is it possible to find a cure to Parkinson's? Is it something that is still trying to be developed? And how far away do you think we may be to actually having something that could treat it to a point where people can get their lives back? Sure. So as we discussed earlier, that a large part, we know one common theme in Parkinson's is this uh, 
this chain reaction of misfolding of synuclein. So there are a number of companies that are targeting misfolded synuclein with various drugs. And so they're in trial now, and it's going to take a little time to get it exactly right. But I believe that within the next 10 years, there'll be drugs on the market that are shown to have a significant benefit for patients. And so if a drug's going to be on the market in 10 years, that drug may be starting a clinical trial right now. Wow. What's your optimism for that? What's your optimism that in your lifetime you'll see uh, you'll see some life-changing discovery in Parkinson's? I'll be very disappointed if we don't have something that makes a difference in people's lives within 8 to 10 years. Great. Amprion co-founder and CEO, Dr. Russell Leibovitz. And by the way, if people wanted to look up some of your research and the things that you're doing when it comes to testing, what's your website again? It is www.amprionme.com. So what happens? Like someone goes to their doctor and their doctor may agree, okay, you're showing some of these signs. Does the local doctor take a sample and send it to your labs? Is that how it works? Correct. And so within a few days, we would be able to tell them definitively whether they have misfolded synuclein in their brain, and therefore that really is diagnostic of the disease. Until that point, what we've been doing, we've sort of been flying blind, even the best doctors. It's all based on clinical symptoms, and clinical symptoms for Parkinson's overlap with clinical symptoms for a number of other things. So misdiagnosis, even in the best hands, using clinical data alone, just hasn't been adequate. So if we have a biomarker that says, yes, there is Parkinson's, or no, there is not misfolded synuclein, and therefore Parkinson's, it can benefit the patient immediately. So is this primarily looked at as something that insurance would cover if they went to their doctor and they had some concerns? Well, it's a new test, and the, yeah. the procedures for doing this take some time, but we are quite convinced. We have very strong data. All of our data is shared and made public. It's all peer-reviewed, published, meaning you know, all of our data is vetted by people outside of the company. It's mm-hmm. already very strong. It will only get stronger, and that will lead to reimbursement. But it's not something that happens overnight. Uh, yeah. We have a, a yeah, we have a mechanism to make sure that things really work, and it may take a year or so. But you know, we would find a way for people who need it now to be able to afford the test. Yeah, it's something that's so new and fresh. It's pretty amazing some of the medical discoveries that have been made, and it's so fast how some of these discoveries and testing could go. And just look at everything we went through with COVID. It's amazing how the turnaround to get a vaccine out. Something else, uh, Doctor Russell Liebowitz. It's the co-founder and CEO of Amprion. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate your questions. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. Real fascinating. And I know that, you know, if you know someone that has been diagnosed or someone that's going down that path or you have a loved one or a parent or whatever it is, I mean, this is something that is extremely life-changing. So to find that there are developments in that field, Pretty exciting. Very exciting. This is Overnight America KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Very informative. I was learning a lot from that interview. 
learning more about the science of Parkinson's. And it is encouraging to learn that there are tests being developed and that it could give you some early signs. And he's hoping that there could be some pretty big breakthroughs inside of that world in the next 10 years. That would be great, too. Really awesome. Sometimes you hear about, oh, it's impossible. You'll never be able to find an answer to that. And I'm just glad. I'm glad that he is someone that believes there will be an answer to it because it does affect so many different people. So what I want to do is set up the next couple of hours because we have so many great guests that we're going to be talking to. And I want to also make sure we have time for you. So if you want to text into the show, it's 314-436-7900. You can call in, but uh, we probably won't be able to take calls till about 1030 tonight because of the guests that we have scheduled, including next hour, Michael Bryant. He's the executive producer of a new series on A&E. It's called I Survived a Crime. It's the stories of survivors and what they had to do to survive. What a fascinating idea for a show. I always want to know those things. Doesn't it scare you to think one day, if this were to happen to me, how would I react to it? In a way, I don't know if it helps you prepare. Mentally, it might help you prepare just a little bit. It might just make you paranoid. And living in a city like St. Louis and you see these stories like Fox 2, for example, just a story about how terrible the interstate shootings have been over the past seven months. And they're investigating another one and another one and another one. I keep thinking to myself, what would I do if, that happened when I was driving down 70. So I think it's something that's natural. People think about these things. Also joining us is an author of the book called How I Lost My Mind and Found Myself, talking about mental health and some of the stigma around mental health and the things that you should do. I, another fascinating look, too. I, I just, I'm so excited for next hour because two great guests. If you want to text in any questions, you can always do that. 314-436-7900. This is Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.